I, I need to say a few things, and I need to thank my brother Roger up here. He, um, he didn't say the nickname that I was anticipating. That's why I was confused sitting down there, because for a long time in my life, uh, probably all the way from kindergarten to uh, my senior high, I was referred to as hamster. Not handsome, <laughs> hamster. And I think this came from because I was small, petite, and, you know, could fit into s and little spaces. And so that's why I thought I got that name. And it wasn't until I came to CFC, and my wife and I were coming here, and then Pastor Dave came to CFC. And if, if you guys don't know Pastor Dave, he loved coming up with Nick's names. And so, of course, boom, hamster, that was my name. And so once again, that name that I thought I escaped all the way through my school year age is now back. And I, I, I take it as a badge of pride. I don't mind the hamster name. So if you call me hamster, if you call me handsome, that's nice too. It makes me feel good. Um, but for the most part, I've always been referred to as hamster. I need to make a confession. All right. Uh, two confessions, actually. When I was preparing this sermon and when I was going to be talking about it, you can switch over if you can. Um, when I was preparing this sermon, uh, I was going over it with my wife um, last night. I always prepare in front of her. She is... Um, an amazing woman, and she does a great job of kind of critiquing what I'm going to say, so I'm not saying blasphemies in front of the church. Um, and when I was talking, when we were talking with, uh, when I was going over it with her, the Buckeyes were losing. And um, the first confession that I want to say is, I'm a Michigan fan. <laughs> and yeah, go blue. Not been pretty, but go blue. So. We won our game, mm, and I didn't think it was going to happen, but we did, and the Buckeyes were losing. I felt a little giddy, um, <laughs> because I was going to have the opportunity to get in front of a bunch of Buckeyes and say, I'm so sorry about your loss. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard when you've been in the top four for the last decade and a half. The 90s were really good to Michigan fans, but I'll tell you what, this turn of the century has been absolutely miserable. So I had to change the sermon because my, I was going over with my wife afterwards, and then when I was done, I, we turned it back on, and there they are celebrating again <laughs> in front of everybody, like, yay, we won, and it's like, it's commonplace, and if anybody remembers Cooper, you know that's not the case. The second confession that I want to make is I'm not good at this. I'm not good at standing in front of a group of believers and sharing what's going on with me. Um, I am a district technology, I'm not trying to, well, I am trying to humble brag, but um, I am district technology liaison for Southwestern City Schools. I, I, I am over 22,000 students, um, uh, 1,500 teachers, some administrators and everything else like that, and I handle technology curriculum for the district. I can get in front of all these administrators, teachers, and stuff like that and give a speech, and not drop a bead of sweat. But when I get in front of you all, and when I have the Lord word that I'm supposed to bring out, there's a pressure that I feel that I don't feel in anywhere else. And this is the reason why. Because this holds so much more impact than I do in my daily life as a teacher, as an administrator, as an instructor. What I say and what I do is something, uh, what I do up here has so much more meaning. And that weight comes upon me, but here's the thing. 
and I'm going to get into my sermon here. Sorry, this is a long introduction, but I'm going to get into my sermon here in a little bit. But the connotations of what I'm going to bring and what I say when I'm talking to a group of believers, even in a small group, even with our small group, uh, there's a weight to it that I just need to give over to the Lord because this is the Lord's word, it's not mine. All right? So if you don't mind praying with me real quick before we get into this. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, God, thank you. Thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this opportunity. And Lord, thank you for trusting me. Lord, I ask that the words that I say be of you and not of myself, that this word that I present be glorified in you. Lord, I also pray for Sue and Dick Gouch as they are dealing with um, some serious issues. I pray that Sue's infection does go away and that she can start her therapy. I pray for Dick that he gets healthy and that they can see each other more often because, Lord, having six decades of time together and being separated is extremely hard. Lord, I ask that you are working on them and that you're making things work so that they can still have that connection. I pray for my pastor, Pastor Mike and Marcy. Lord, as they're taking a great leap of faith in you, Lord, that you are with them, guiding them, building them up. And Lord, I thank you for the teaching that they not only gave this church, but Lord, the teaching that they gave to me. From starting off in uh, small groups into discipleship training, Lord, it's because of the training that you put on their heart that I'm able to stand up here today. And it's your heavenly name I pray. Amen. So, stereotypes. Everyone here has probably already stereotyped me right now when I said I was a Michigan fan. Can I give you another thing that you can judge me on? I'm also a millennial. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, I've got two things going against me. Those millennial Buckeye fans, they have it easy. So, um... Uh, what I want to, the, the whole reason why I bring up those two things, millennial, uh, Michigan fans, is because you probably already have a stereotype, you probably already have something in mind that's been built up in you, but I want to tell you, holding on to stereotypes is something that even we do as Christians, goes against what God is trying to tell us, alright, so uh, today, I want to talk about what stereotypes do you hold on to, just take a moment, think about those different maybe people, or groups, age ranges, that you hold on to with some sort of maybe disdain. And knowing that judgment by appearance is inconsistent with God, and this is what we're going to talk about. So if you want to turn with me to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to read this. Now here's the thing, I am also uh, the official oldest millennial, um, because... I think I'm going to have to start getting readers, and I'm not excited about this. I got up here today, and Barrett was having me read scripture, and I was like, yeah, I can, oh, no, I can't, and so I have to hold it a little bit closer. So James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring, fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you, stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor 
in the eyes of the world to be rich in the faith and inherit the kingdom he promised, uh, promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into courts? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? So when the Bible talks about partiality, it comes from two Greek words that are combined together. The first one is to meaning to accept. The second one is to judge according to one's face. So when we show partiality or when we hold on to a stereotype, we're making these quick judgments. All right, when he talks about the example of rich and poor, this is just one example, but this can fall into all kinds of different realms that we Christians kind of follow in suit with. And it becomes a dangerous thing. The one thing that I'm really grateful for is that's not how God looks at us. None of us in here, God looks in the way that we sometimes look at one another. When I look at my wife right there, she's already critiquing everything I just said. But I'm so thankful that God doesn't look at me that way. So let's look at some people that God has chosen as biblical examples by looking at what's on their heart rather than their outward appearance or some of the things they do. Do you know the guys that God picks a lot of rascals to represent him? People that, you, you know, if you and I met these people on the street, like, really? Let's look at Abraham. Everybody knows the story of Father Abraham, uh, father of many nations, or father of nations. However, did you know that when Abraham was going into Egypt, he told his wife Sarah to pretend that he was his sister and then gave her over to Pharaoh so that he wouldn't be killed? Look at Moses. Moses, leading the people out of Israel through the Exodus. Moses also directly spoke to God when God said, you are going to be the one that's going to lead my nations. And then Moses follows up with saying, God, I'm not a great speaker. I stutter. Can you have someone else come and speak for me? I think it got at one point looked at him, oh, probably was like judging him. It's like, oh, and he said, okay, I'll send you with Aaron. And let's look at David, beloved by God. I want to look at a certain form of scripture. So this is how we as people, as humans on earth, are terrible judges. But if you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, we're going to read a passage out of there and see how God sees us. First Samuel 16. When the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse, to Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you. And say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. 
Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived in Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed hand uh, stands here before, uh, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do you consider his appearance or his height? For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things, uh, does not look at man, uh, does not, sorry, look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It goes on, and all these sons are brought forth, one after another, and the Lord's like, nope, nope, nope. Samuel at one point says, surely you have one more son. The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are all, and sorry, I'm looking at verse 10. Are these all, or sorry, 11. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for, uh, so he sent and had him brought in. He is ruddy and fine in appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. Thank God that God looks at us when we're our most vulnerable, when we're our most weak. When we come to God, if we go back to James in verse 5, he rescues us when we have nothing to give. How many people in here have come to the Lord when they are feeling great and high on life? And how many come to the Lord here who have come in humility, knowing that they have done wrong and confessing that to him? God works in us. He works in spite of the flaws that we have, the flaws of Abraham, Moses, and David. And he is perfected by what we do and what he gives to us. It's nothing that we do ourselves. It's what God is working inside of us to make happen. And that fills me with a lot of comfort. Knowing that I am glorified because of God's love. So let's move on. About this partiality. This is also inconsistent. If we are partial, if we show favoritism or anything else like that, this is inconsistent with who God is. All right? We are not called just to love those around us. I love coming here at CFC. My wife and I have been a part of this church for, I think, 10, 11, 12 years maybe. 12 years. Um, and in this church, we've grown more than we ever did when I was going through Campus Crusade at Wright State, and we were living in Dayton for a while. We've grown so much here. Um, God has tested us through infertility. God has tested us through um, a trial that we just recently came across, my niece. Um, it will be a year coming up soon where she, uh, she left us. She was at the prime of her life, and she, uh, she died. And we're still rocked with this as a family. But the Lord is bringing me through 
these different trials, and I'm so thankful of CFC and the community of body and believers here because the love that I feel from this congregation, the love that I feel from our small group and from the other people that have been part of our lives has been overwhelming. But one thing God calls us to do is not just love those who are around us. If we look at James, sorry, once again, 8 through 11, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the laws as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. That's a heavy, heavy burden right there. If we stumble, if we sin with one thing, we've broken the whole contract, that whole covenant that we have with God. For he said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do not commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Because of God's grace, he has saved us. But the other thing that he calls us to do is love those around us. The entire law is fulfilled through Jesus. This royal law is likely an Old Testament or Torah reference, the royal law. Let's look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, or verse 30 through 31. One thing that I was taught, and this goes back to Pastor Mike, is sometimes when you read scripture, you have to go a little bit further than the one that you just want to hit someone over the head with uh, to give context. So this is my way of giving context. Pastor Mike, if I screw this up, um, I don't care. Anyways, um, <laughs> one of the teachers, all right, so I, I, I'm, I'm, jumping, I'm jumping a little bit back. I'm going to verse 28. You can follow along with me. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus' answer, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with, uh, sorry, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. So just to put context with this, this particular phrase that Jesus said is something that a lot of the rabbis, the teachers of the law, would almost, it'd be like, almost like a call to prayer. It was something that they would rehearse and say every day. It was their announcement of their faith. And so this is something that was extremely important to them, and this would have gotten a lot of head nods among the rabbis. But then Jesus adds this one little part right here. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Once again, Jesus gives us with a clear task right here to love our neighbors as ourselves. This is not just the people sitting around you. These are not just the people, that, the people that you've gotten connected with in the community. God calls us to love the world. 
If we look at John 3.16, because he didn't come into the world, uh, uh, he didn't come into the world, condemn the world, he came into the world to save it through him. Lord, I, when, when, I, when, I, when I hear that, it, it fills me with a sense of urgency, a sense of need where I cannot sit by when there are people around me that don't have that experience of God's love. That agape love that goes beyond all understanding. It's hard. And there, there are people in our lives that have done some things to us that have really hurt us. But God loves them just as much as he loves everyone else in this room. And that fills me with a lot of hope. Sometimes we get so close, but then we also miss out on some of the things that might happen because we miss out on that second commandment. So being partial is not being merciful. Judging the outward is something that we need to stop. The millennial right here, you got to quit saying, oh man, this kid, because I'm not a kid anymore, I'm actually 37, but... Um, we need to start, stop looking at people as, as thems and as, as those. Because that only brings us down into this mortal realm of, of thought process, like, oh, well, they, those people are, are not, not worthy or not necessary of my time. God doesn't see it that way. All people are necessary and worthy of his time. Having a heart changed by the gospel. Another thing, I was going to go through 1 James. That was one of the uh, series, or the, one of the things I was reading about in my life, and I'm not at the point yet to deal with that because James, 1 James talks about some of the suffering that happens and how temptation can come in with sin, and he goes on through there. But one of the big pieces from that James chapter that I highlighted here is, one, blesses man who is under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And then verse 22 in chapter 1 of James, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. We need to be changed by the gospel. We need to be in scripture on a regular basis. God is ready to meet us anytime and anywhere where we are willing to meet him. We need to focus more on outreach. This is hard for a lot of us. It's hard for me. I, I can go and talk to people, but when I have to talk to them about Jesus, when I have to talk to them about Scripture and have to come with some sort of authority, that's where I have to lose myself to that and allow the Lord to work. So we need to have faith of a mustard seed so we can move mountains. So why am I talking about all of this? Well, Roger came up, and this is not something that we planned this was Lord working. Um, I missed the elder meeting. I am, I am also the, the biggest procrastinator of the elders. Um, but uh, one of the things that they talked about was our mission and vision um, that we have for CFC. This is something that we've had a prayer night about. This is something that we've been meeting with Pastor Mike, Pastor Dave, Pastor Dylan. This is something that we've been developing and building for a while. And two of the things that we came across that were very important, two mission statements, are our community and outreach. So when Roger got up here and started talking about it, and we were talking about it a little bit before, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. 
Let's talk about community. This is our statement for community. We see a church loving life together. So how does this look? How does this look as far as living and loving life together? We saw this as growth groups. Are you in one yet? If you're not, there's a great one on Wednesday. And it meets at 6. We got some wonderful people in there. They're called the Hickeys. Not the Hamptons. They smell. But, <laughs> um, but we have a lot of community growth groups. And we ask that you get involved with one. Uh, we can't do this alone. It's not just like, hey, we want to get our numbers larger and everything. It has nothing to do with that. What we want to do is grow and build together. But we can't do it ourselves. We can't be lone islands. We need communities together to help bring us up, to help us grow, to pray with each other. As Holmberg said before, we can't do this without prayer. And one of the big things that we can do in these growth groups is sit together as a community of believers and pray and worship Jesus. The other statement is outreach. This is, this is a big one because this is one that's been on my heart for a while, and this is one that's been on a lot of the elders' hearts for a while. We need to step out more with outreach. And so this is the statement. Being the hands and feet of Christ, lovingly serving those who are in need. So I first talked about our community and growth groups. The next step for our growth groups is to look towards outreach. And there are some growth groups, man, they are amazing with outreach. And there are people going out and serving, and it's beautiful. But I think it's something that we all need to have a more uh, diligent focus on. And so this all ties together with our vision statement. Real love in real life. So my brothers and sisters that are out here, I encourage you to look through our growth groups. If you're not involved with one, seek out one of the elders, seek out a um, shepherd, and we would be happy to direct you to one that works for you. And if you have more questions or anything about this, anything about our mission, vision, or where we're going from here, don't hesitate to talk to Roger. Um, because I don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, no, talk to Roger, talk to any of the elders, talk to the elders' wives. We have all been doing this together. It's not just the men in here, but we've been doing it as um, a body of one flesh. So my wife has been walking with me in this journey. Roger's um, wife, Crystal, has been walking, and all the other elders as well. Uh, this is something that we want to do as one unified body, but we need you to be a part of it as well. So I want to thank you, everybody, for giving me this opportunity and time. And before we leave, let's uh, bow our heads in prayer. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, God, you're amazing. You are someone who breaks down barriers and goes past our own flaws and our own faults. Lord, you give us chances and opportunities that I hope that everyone here can be a witness to. Lord, that you open us up to you and break our hearts of stone and make them as hearts of flesh. Lord, that we can have that vision of love that you have for this earth and for the people on it in our own minds and hearts. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's your heavenly name I pray. Amen.